Welcome to the Torah Guide, a podcast where we explore how the Hebrew Bible is all about Jesus and meditate on what it has to say to us. I'm your host, Aaron Dranoff. Hey guys, it's Aaron. I have a goal for this podcast that by the end of this year, we'll have 100 ratings, which is a big goal for a new podcast. And I know 100 is sort of arbitrary, but the reason for that goal is because ratings are one of the best and easiest ways to help people find a podcast. So you can help me meet this goal. If you wouldn't mind, just take a second wherever you're listening to the podcast and just give a quick rating. That will really help the podcast get shown to more people. So we are deep into the Messianic Trajectory series. Our mission in this series is to let the Hebrew Bible set the agenda to show us its central purpose. Why was the Hebrew Bible written according to the Hebrew Bible? That's the question we're going to answer. This is our seventh episode in the series, and we've covered a lot of ground. What we've discovered is there's one overarching plot line that all the sub-stories in the Hebrew Bible filter into. So that means there's one main storyline that's made up of other stories that span generations. It begins with the story of creation to introduce God's desire to elevate humanity to be rulers over creation in a trusting relationship. But they don't trust God, humanity, and they think he's holding out on them. So they take for themselves, and even though God was trying to elevate them, they try to elevate themselves on their own terms because they don't trust that God is doing that. But because they do that, instead of elevating themselves, By rejecting God, they actually doom themselves to death because God is the source of life. So the story moves us forward to a new human, Avram or Abraham, who God also partners with as the first step in the plan to restore all of creation after humanity polluted it with evil in the first few pages. Then Abraham's family, who God partnered with, is supposed to live their lives in a way that is totally surrendered to the Torah. But since Israel is a new Adam, a new Adam, a new human, Israel also fails to keep God's commands, and the Torah actually ends by pointing us past the laws and Israel's failure to keep them, just like Adam's failure to keep them. It points us past Israel's failure to the future restoration that God promised. Before we jump in, I just want to thank you guys again for those of you who listen to this podcast. I I really enjoy working on them and studying for them, and I I really hope that you're finding them not just interesting, but helpful and thought-provoking at the least. If you are, I want to ask you guys to please consider supporting the Torah Guide financially. If half of the Torah Guide's listeners signed up to give $30 a month, we'll be able to keep the podcast going next year. I really believe that this podcast and the videos we make are doing a lot of good, We're not even a year old yet, and I've already heard stories of people who were adamantly against Jesus, and we've even had some people commenting angrily on some of our videos who have since softened and placed their faith in Jesus and made a commitment to follow him. There's already several stories like this. So I really believe God wants to use this project. But if you agree, and if this podcast or the videos has been helpful for you, and you want to keep it going, or you just want to help support so that we can keep reaching others, please consider signing up to give you can give at the Torahguide.com slash give. All right. Last week, we focused on how the narrative that spans from Genesis through 2 Kings, which is the 
grand narrative of the Hebrew Bible, the unbroken continuous narrative from the beginning of the Torah all the way through the former prophets, Genesis through 2 Kings. And we saw last week that it is the story of Adam on a bigger scale, which means so just like Adam and Eve, God brought the Jewish people into a land that he prepared for them and gave them commands. But they didn't listen to God. Israel didn't listen to God. And as a result, they too, just like Adam, was exiled and ended up in Babylon, just like Adam's descendants ended up in Babylon. So the unbroken narrative of the Hebrew Bible ends in 2 Kings. But that isn't the end of the Hebrew Bible. So 2 Kings is in the middle of the second section of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Tanakh, remember, is Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. So Torah, prophets, and writings. So 2 Kings, where the grand narrative ends, is in the middle of that second section, the prophets. It's the end of the former prophets. In the Hebrew in the Hebrew ordering, the prophets section is itself thought of in two subdivisions, two sections, the former prophets and the latter prophets. The former prophets are Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. And the latter prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the scroll of 12. And the scroll of the 12 in Christian Bibles is divided into 12, 12 separate books. So the narrative that follows Israel from Abraham to exile goes from the beginning of the Torah, Genesis, all the way through the former prophets, Second Kings. Then the latter prophets is rooted in and explains more about that narrative, but it's no longer that same continuous unbroken story. It's now a diverse set of literature that sees itself building on that narrative. And that's the latter prophets and then also the writings which follows the prophets. Um, if this is sort of hard to um, hard to visualize, there's um, a few of the Torah Guide shorts on YouTube or Instagram that, um, or on the TorahGuide.com that you can you can look at and and kind of visualize the Torah prophets and writings. Um, because I know it is kind of hard to think of just just hearing it audibly. I did my best to to explain it and break it down, but you might need to see it visually. You have the Torah prophets and writings, a narrative that spans from the beginning of the Torah into the middle of the prophets, Genesis to Second Kings. And then after the narrative is over, in um, the next book after Second Kings, that's the start of the latter prophets. And from the latter prophets through the rest of the Hebrew Bible, which is latter prophets and the writings, you have a diverse set of literature that is rooted in the narrative that went from Genesis to Second Kings. But it's no, lo- and there's some narrative in there, but it's no longer just one uncon- uh, unbroken continuous narrative. All right. So the latter prophets, Second Kings, starts with three major prophets, which lead up to and goes into the Babylonian exile that you would have already read about in the narrative. Remember, that was the disappointing ending to that long, continuous story that you've devoted so much time to reading. The first book of the latter prophets is Isaiah. So it goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the scroll of the Twelve. So the first book of the latter prophets is Isaiah, And this book is presented as the perspective of God's word for Israel as they're leading up to the exile in time. Then the next book has one foot before the exile and one foot during the exile. The person this second book is presented through is Jeremiah, who starts his prophetic career before the exile and then lives through it, or lives into it, I should say. Then the next book, Ezekiel, is completely set during the Babylonian exile. So you have 
Isaiah before the exile, Jeremiah as it happens, and then Ezekiel in the exile. And all three books point Israel back to the Torah. They're a call for Israel to return to what they learned in the Torah. Their shared message, which is presented to Israel in different times in relationship to the exile and in different times and in different places, is to warn Israel about the severity and the consequences of breaking the Torah. And at the same time, to inspire hope that God will restore them. So on one on one side, it's a message of warning. And on the other side, it's a message of hope. And the prophets aren't making, making up this idea, either the warning or the hope. The prophets are actually rooting what they're saying in the Torah. They're not trying to just be motivational speakers, right? They're actually getting this hopeful idea from the worst motivational speaker in, in Israel's history, Moses in the Torah. At the end of the Torah, Moses gathered all of Israel together right before he sent them into the promised land. And God had given them all these laws and told them that obeying the laws is choosing life and disobeying the laws is choosing death. If they disobey the commands that God gave them, they'll be, they'll be ejected from the land. It literally says they'll be vomited out of the land and scattered all over the place and mistreated. Now, this is just like Adam and Eve choosing between the tree of life or the tree of knowing good and bad, which leads to death and being sent away from the garden. And Moses didn't take this opportunity to tell Israel, you know, I know you can do it. You guys are great. I've seen how far you've come. You guys are going to nail it. Moses just knows that Israel will disobey the commands and get sent out of the land, just like Adam. He just takes it for granted that they're going to break the commands. He doesn't just say the blessing is going to come upon them. He says also the curse will come upon them too. And the only reason the curse will come upon them is if they stop keeping the laws, if they disobey the laws. And like he said, so when it will be, when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And their only reason they'll be scattered is if they don't keep the laws. So that's what Moses tells Israel before he sends them into the, into the, the, the land that God promised them. It's, it's not very motivational. It's like, I'm no, I know you guys are going to fail this. But he doesn't just warn them that they're going to break the law. He also gives them hope that it won't be the end for them. He continues, When you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, in accordance with everything that I am commanding you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of your scattered countrymen are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. Deuteronomy 32-3. So whenever Israel turns back from their disobedience and listen to God, obey God with all their hearts, as the Torah says to do, that's when God will bring them all back from all over the earth into Israel. So even though for the generation after Moses, this is a dim future because he says you're going to break the commands and be, and be exiled, in the distant future, it is a very bright future for the people of Israel. It's a desperate short-term situation and a hopeful long-term situation. Then this narrative that Moses promises about these things about ends with Israel getting scattered, just like Moses promised. Then the latter prophets take us back into exile from a different angle now, starting with the perspective of three prophets who lived before the exile, into the exile, and during the exile. Jeremiah, the prophet whose perspective we're reading in the second book of the latter prophets, right in the middle, 
very much sees the actual history of Israel through the lens of the Torah. In Jeremiah's reality, in his worldview, what is taking place in history isn't just the pages of history running their course. What's happening is because of Israel's response to the Torah, disobedience. In the beginning of the book, God sends Jeremiah to Israel, and he reminds Jeremiah that what's going to happen to them is all about and because of their response to the Torah. It's because they rejected life and chose death by disobeying God. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Listen to my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you shall walk entirely in the way which I command you, so that it may go well for you. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but walked by their own advice and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. And they went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them daily, again and again. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. Jeremiah seven, twenty-three to 26 So the book of Jeremiah, in unison with the rest of the Hebrew Bible, shows that Israel broke the covenant thoroughly. They broke it over and over again. It even says that they ignored God daily. So they were exiled to Babylon. But Jeremiah's message isn't just a message of warning about the consequences for breaking the Torah. It's also a reminder about the hope that the Torah promised on the other side of that exile. Jeremiah apparently was a Torah pro. A passage of Jeremiah that we call Jeremiah 31 quotes heavily from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Throughout the passage, he's talking about Israel being restored after they're scattered, which is the same topic of conversation as Deuteronomy 30. And he quotes so heavily from Deuteronomy to really tie the two passages together. In Deuteronomy, it says, God will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Jeremiah also says that God will gather them from everywhere he has scattered them. Both passages hinge around Israel being restored. Why? Because Jeremiah doesn't want you to think he's breaking any new ground here. Jeremiah wants you to see that he's just viewing Israel's history and its future in light of what the Torah teaches. So Jeremiah doesn't see the exile as the end for Israel. He remembers the promise that God made through the prophet Moses to restore Israel. And remember that in the Torah, God shows the people of Israel to bring restoration to all humanity and all creation. Jeremiah also sees Israel's future restoration and the restoration for all creation. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seeds of mankind and the seeds of animals. And just as I have watched over them to uproot them, tear them down, ruin, destroy, and bring disaster on them, so I will watch over them to build and to plant them, declares the Lord. And that's in Jeremiah chapter 31. And Jeremiah calls this future day when God will watch over and restore all creation along with Israel. He calls it a new covenant. Why does Jeremiah tell us that Israel needs a new covenant? Because they broke the first covenant in the Torah. Remember that God promised Moses that Israel would break the covenant, but that they would eventually turn back to God and keep his laws, when he did something to their hearts. He said, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, 
my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and their sin I will no longer remember. That's Jeremiah 31 through 35. So Jeremiah reminds Israel, as they're going into exile for breaking the covenant, that God will bring them back out of Israel and give them a new covenant, and the law of this covenant will be on their heart. And this covenant will be possible through forgiveness. The reason God gives for the covenant is, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin I will no longer remember. According to Jeremiah, that is how this covenant is possible. Forgive what? Forgive them breaking the first covenant. Forgive their wrongdoing. The fact that they didn't listen to God and chose death instead of life. Just as Adam needs restoration because they, humanity, didn't choose God, they chose death. They rejected life and chose death. So this is showing what humanity's restoration is going to look like. This is a big deal. The prophet Jeremiah sees the restoration that God promised at the end of the Torah through Moses in Deuteronomy 30 as a future reality that will be extended to the Gentiles and all creation. Remember, he just before this, he tied it together with the sons of Adam and all of creation. And it will be made possible, the future reality, new covenant with Gentiles, creation, and the people of Israel, it will be made possible by God's forgiveness. And the two prophets that Jeremiah is sandwiched between also talk about Israel's future covenant. So let's take a look at how they each thought about the restoration Moses promised way back in the Torah, Isaiah and Ezekiel. In Isaiah 42, there's a passage about the Messiah, the servant of God who God will fill with his spirit, so he will bring justice to the nations as their ruler. God tells this person, the Messiah, I am the Lord. I have called you, the Messiah, in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will also appoint you as a covenant to the people. So this person will be the covenant. A covenant is an agreement between partners. So Isaiah is intentionally using this term weirdly to make a point. The way Isaiah sees the restoration that isn't just for Israel, but for all creation is by God filling the Messiah with his spirit so he can bring justice to the world And this person will actually be the new covenant. So not only is this new covenant that Moses wrote about and then Jeremiah later labels during the Messianic age when Gentiles are included, but Isaiah sees the coming of the Messiah and the new covenant inseparably linked together. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. All right, then let's look at the other side of Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel also read the Torah really closely, and uh, maybe he read Jeremiah too, but he wrote about the same event that Moses promised, God gathering the people of Israel from everywhere he scattered them and restoring them. And Ezekiel shed some more light on what Jeremiah meant when he said that the law would be written on their hearts, and what Moses meant when he said that Israel would be able to keep the law and live 
when God circumcised their hearts. So God tells Ezekiel, who remembers living in exile, to give this message to Israel. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and I will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful and follow my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. This sheds a lot of light on what Moses promised when he said God would circumcise their hearts so they could keep the commandments and live. And it sheds light on what Jeremiah meant when he, talking about Moses' promise, said that God would put his law on their hearts during the new covenant. So God reveals to and through Ezekiel that when he will restore the people of Israel and change their hearts so that they can keep the law and live, he will actually be putting his spirit into the people. The people will all know the law because they will all be filled with the spirit of God, just like the Messiah from Isaiah, who is the covenant, was filled with the spirit of God. So when we see how Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel also all saw Israel's Babylonian captivity and their understanding of God's promise to Moses in Deuteronomy, we learn a lot about the future restoration for Israel. The restoration is made possible through God's forgiveness and is inseparably linked to the Messianic age because the Messiah actually is the covenant. He's filled with the Spirit of God to restore Israel, and then the people of Israel will be given new hearts and filled with the Spirit of God so that they can listen to God. This is not just a part of the Hebrew Bible. This is the central hope of the Hebrew Bible. The Torah ends pointing forward to this hope for a reason. Then the Hebrew Bible ends with Israel headed into exile, not to bring despair, but to remind Israel about Moses' promise on the other side of exile, which is why at the very last paragraph of the Hebrew Bible, right after it described Israel going into exile, Jehoiakim, the descendant of David, who was promised the Messiah, Messianic lion, so Jehoiakim is released from prison to spark hope that he is like a new Abraham, like we saw last week. It's why all three prophets set their hope on this new covenant restoration. Not something that they made up, but something that they're picking up from the Torah. If you keep reading through the prophets, you'll see Nehemiah, who brings Israel back from captivity, pray a really moving prayer, where he calls on God to bring about the restoration that he promised Moses. In the writings, you'll hear a very similar prayer from Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. This hope for Israel's future restoration is made that made possible by forgiveness and extended to the Gentiles and brought about by the Messiah is the end goal of the entire Hebrew Bible. We could right now just stop and move to how Jesus and the New Testament, or, you know, we could call it the New Covenant, New Testament and Covenant are synonymous. We could just right now stop and talk about how the New Testament presents Jesus as being the New Covenant, who made God's forgiveness possible, and then poured out the Spirit of God on his believers in Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 10. But we're going to take one step at a time. At the end of this series, we are going to see how Jesus carries the story forward in the New Testament. For now, we're walking through the the course that the Hebrew Bible sets for us. All right, so far we've seen that almost immediately humanity rejects their source of life and gets exiled into a world full of suffering and evil. Because we decided good and evil on our own, 
elevating ourselves to God's place. The Bible is then God's answer to humanity's problem. It's his plan to rid the world of evil without getting rid of humans who keep causing the problem of evil. Then Israel, Abraham's descendants, are the first step in God's plan to bring about restoration to all of creation. Then the next step we took is seeing how while the Jewish people are supposed to shape their lives around the Torah, the point of the Hebrew Bible is not the laws inside. Because just like Adam, Israel broke those laws. And God knew they were going to break the covenant even before he sent them into the land that he promised them. So the end goal of the Torah is actually the new covenant forgiveness and restoration which is linked to the Messiah. Jeremiah 31, 27-34 Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of mankind and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to uproot them, tear them down, ruin, destroy, and bring disaster on them, so I will watch over them to build and to plant them, declares the Lord. In those days they will no longer say the fathers have eaten sour grapes, but it is the children's teeth that have become blunt. But everyone will die for his own wrongdoing. Each person who eats the sour grapes, his own teeth will become blunt. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin I will no longer remember. Jeremiah 31 27 through 34. Let's meditate on scripture together. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just take some time to think about each question, and if you need more time to think or pray, you can go ahead and pause. All right, first question Has your relationship with God been about following rules or trying to do the right thing? next. God doesn't want us to try to do the right thing on our own. He wants to fill us with his spirit and have a relationship with us, which does mean letting the Holy Spirit guide our lives. What is one specific area of your life that the Holy Spirit might be asking you to surrender? And last, What is one specific step of obedience that you can take this week? Pray with me. Father, you are such a generous God. If you had just created us but not forgiven us for breaking your commands, it would have been enough. If you had just forgiven us for breaking your commands but not given us your own spirit, it would have been enough. But you have, God. You created us, you've forgiven us for doing evil, and you've even recreated us by giving us your spirit if we've accepted you. Thank you. 
Help us to open ourselves up to the direction, guidance, and authority of your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Torah Guide Podcast. If you want to meditate on this lesson some more, check out the video and reading plan that go along with it, either at thetorahguide.com or on Instagram and Facebook. The Torah Guide is a totally crowdfunded nonprofit that makes all sorts of resources to help you read the Hebrew Bible and discover Jesus, including this podcast, animated videos, devotionals, reading plans, and more. And we're able to do it because of generous people like you. So if you want to be a part of helping people discover how the Hebrew Bible points to Jesus, you can sign up to become a monthly supporter or make a one-time gift at thetorahguide.com give.